What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 86 of Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. In today's episode, it we have titled it Head Versus Heart, When You Should Use Each When Selling Online, Your Heart Versus Your Head. And we'll get more into the details about that here in just a little bit. But thanks for watching us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Or if you're listening to us on uh, any sort of podcast channel, you can do so by downloading us on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, really anywhere where a podcast exists, I'm going to be there. Just search for Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments, and you'll be able to find the most up-to-date ones as well. We're catching up on all those audio formats, but if you watch all the video ones, you can find those on Ping Pong Payments YouTube channel. Just find the playlist Crossover Commerce. But do me a favor, go ahead and follow, like, and share this episode on social media and hit that notification bell to be notified of future episodes. You don't want to miss any single action-packed episode that I have coming up on Crossover Commerce. Four to five times per week is my goal to bring you the brightest and best in the Amazon e-commerce space. That's no um, different than this week as well. My guests, as well as the next three days, we're going to be action. We're going to be lining up these people to bring you action-packed information for the Amazon e-commerce space and giving you the most insight we can uh, from our guest. So, if you can't catch us live, also know that because this is live, you can interact with us in the comments section. Go ahead and let us know where you're listening from, or you can answer your ask your questions, and we'll answer those live on air. If you can't watch this live, you can also go back later on and watch those on replay. Just go ahead and tag each myself and the guest in those comments or the questions that you have, and we'll be able to answer those after the fact. So go ahead and make sure you note that as well. Uh, But about our guest today, it's not just me. If it was a show just about me, that would be one boring show, but I have guests on every single episode to share their insights. So about our guest today, he is uh, known as the founder of Beast Gear, he is the classic millennial. As a classic millennial entrepreneur, he built a business on a laptop in a cupboard in his spare time. And what's the difference? He actually grew an international seven-figure business and successfully exited after three years. Fantastic news. Um, the business, uh, obviously the business holy grail, as he likes to uh, tout it. Now he's doing it all over again and helping others do the same with e-commerce consultancy and e-commerce brokerage. He himself... Uh, has all sorts of information. You see him around on LinkedIn, you see him around on Instagram and Facebook, giving his best tips and tricks uh, to help entrepreneurs grow their business uh, as well as internationally as, and then also exiting. So we're going to talk about using your head versus your heart and when to apply each in selling online. Welcome to Crossover Commerce, Ben Ben Leonard of e-commerce brokers. Ben, thanks for uh, hopping on today. I know it's late where you're at. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, good to be here. Um, it's not too late, you know. It's just just going eight o'clock. <laughs> you're across, the, yeah. You're across the quote unquote pond. You're in uh, Scotland, so it's not too bad. That's right? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I got to say that I'm, I'm usually an early to bed, early to get up guy. So uh, yeah, I, after after this show, I probably will be heading straight to my bed. <laughs> that that that's that sounds good to me. I could use a nap right now. It's been a long day. <laughs> Easter weekend. <laughs> I'm catching up. I got so much sun this weekend because it's finally beautiful where I'm at. So. 
I, I couldn't complain, but it's awesome to have you on. I know you're uh you're a busy guy, but for people who may not have heard you either speak or talk either in person or online, kind of a, what, who's, what's the story of Ben Leonard? Like, how did you get where you are? I only hit like a couple high level bullet points, but like what, what's kind of that, that story of you? Yep. Um, so in a nutshell, uh, I got into e-commerce in uh, early 2016. I created a brand of fitness equipment because I'm, that's what I'm into. And I believe that everybody's uh, business or brand that they form should be something that they're into. Um, I got into that. I stumbled into it. Uh, I had a, a health scare and I ended up having to take some time out from my fitness hobbies and I wanted to stay in touch with those. So I, I decided to create a, a better suite of fitness equipment for me to use and, and to sell and maybe earn some pocket money. Turned out I was quite good at it. Um, I scaled it up over uh, three and a half years to mid seven figures. And, and then I, I exited that. And now, uh, as you correctly said in your, your really kind intro, um, I'm, I'm still I'm still doing that. I'm still building brands, uh, not fitness, but I'm still building brands partly because I love it. And I've now learned how to build brands actually with a view to selling them rather than just kind of starting a brand as a hobby. And I'm helping others uh, through, you know, the benefit of my experience and teaching them how to get control of their business and scale it up. And, and I'm helping others to uh, have the same success I did with with exiting their business with with econ brokers. So I've kind of got like like three hats, I guess. Um, and yes, it's a fantastic industry to be in. I'm glad that I stumbled into it. And, uh, you know, I love it. And I love coming on podcasts and just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze. So before Ben, like, what did you do uh, before you got into e-commerce? Because I mean, you're a young guy. Like, this isn't the only thing you've been doing in your life. Yeah, like, it was you said very... you've been in fitness. Like, what was kind of like that story before e-commerce world? Sure. So my professional background isn't isn't even fitness. My my background's ecology. I'm a I'm a whale and dolphin nerd. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I was. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like that, that's no, super I mean, um, like unique. Was, like, not many I... people do that. So I live in, uh, or just south of a city in Scotland called Aberdeen, which is known as the the oil industry capital of Europe. And um, my job was to tell um, oil oil uh, engineers that, that they're not allowed to put pollution pollutants into the sea. And it was a good job, and I enjoyed it. Um, but when I had this this health problem and I started that brand, it came to a point where I realized that wow, this has got potential, and I need to quit my job to focus on it. Um, so now I'm just like, rather than being a professional whale and dolphin nerd, I'm just an amateur whale and dolphin nerd. You're just um, a fan, right? But fitness wise, uh, it's funny. I was the asthmatic kid at school who was last to get picked for everything in sports. Um, and really? I only got interested in fitness when I went to university in my early 20s. And then, yeah, by my late 20s, when I started the brand, I was like 27. Um, you know, it was my main hobby. I was boxing. I was doing CrossFit. I was running. I was lifting heavy weights. And... The, when I when I got told that I needed to take like nine months off of anything active and take a whole bunch of drugs, um, I needed something to stay in touch with those hobbies. And I was like sadly tidying out my gym bag and looking at all this equipment that I wasn't going to use. And I thought, well, I could do a better job of that. So I just kind of did. Um, I had no experience in business, none in e-commerce. So it was a, I was beginning a journey at that point of learning by doing. Right. So you were, you were passionate about staying active and fit because you didn't want something of a health, you know, crisis or something that had somewhat of a hold on you. You didn't want that to be, you know, defining you. But when you, when you said I can do a better job at that, like just something sparks in you or like 
I, I can't believe I'm using this and this is something like I, I see the potential of it or what was yeah. kind of like that thought process? It's funny because I, I never really had like an on, entrepreneurial spark before this or I suppose I did somewhere deep inside my, my brain, but I never realized it. And now, like, you know, I have entrepreneurial ideas, you know, up to my eyeballs. Um, yeah, what happened was I I was just going through my kit and I thought, well, this stuff is actually kind of average. And I realized that there was a gap in the market for uh, high quality equipment for, uh, for fitness, for CrossFit, for boxing, for generally, you know, using in the gym, um, which was, you know, high quality and yet a fair price. Because the problem that I that I saw was that most of the equipment that was good was, you know, yes, of course, you have to pay more for a good product, but it was unreasonably expensive, right? Um, to the point that only, you know, uh, extraordinarily wealthy people and elite, ath elite athletes could afford it. And so I, you know, I scratched my own itch, right? I developed good products that were actually affordable and had a decent service to stand alongside it. What kind of products are we talking? Are we talking about like specific sport or are we talking about working out like more of a building yeah, your body I, I or? So the first product was a, was a, a skipping rope or you guys would call it a jump rope. And um, <laughs> okay. that was for, I, I used that in, in two, two ways. I used that for both CrossFit and for boxing. That was a bit of a crossover product, right? But then from mm -hmm. there, I developed products to kind of create a, a suite of products to serve the same problem or the same, sorry, to serve the same group of customers and help them solve problems that they have. So it was pretty straightforward to develop a suite of CrossFit products for CrossFitters and a suite of weightlifting products for weightlifters and a suite of boxing products for boxers, if that makes sense. Right. And so what was missing in that space? Like it, like that, those workouts are very different, but what was missing in terms of like the products that were out there before you introduced yours? So when I, the first product I created was, so the brand, I'm, I'm allowed to say this, right? This is all public domain. I sold the brand. But um, the new owner, they continue to use me in their uh, their PR all the time. So the, the brand was called Beast Gear, still is called Beast Gear. And uh, the first product was a skipping rope called the Beast Rope. And okay. that time, the skipping rope I was using was, was pretty good, but it could have been better. So I decided that I would I would make a better one. I, I worked with the manufacturer to over time to develop one that was better by saying, okay, you know, send me all your all your samples. Because at, at this point I didn't have I didn't have a lot of capital, right? So I couldn't right. develop my own product from scratch. But what I could do was I could take everything off the shelf and, to, and and cherry pick the best bits. So, well, I like that bit. Can we change this bit a little bit by doing that? Let's take this piece from that one and swap it out with that one. And this way I created a better product. Now so it's a product. Yeah, I was going to say it's a product fit for you almost. Like you're like, I do this event. This is something that's going to benefit me. And I'm going to be very happy with it. And stuff like, and it's okay. It does its job. It's going to benefit you directly. Is that how you kind of approach it? Yeah, pretty much. Because I knew that I was my customer. So, like, I think it's really important for everyone to understand their customer, build a customer avatar. And from there, you can build a brand avatar to reflect your customer. And it really helps if you are your customer or if someone in your organization is your customer. Because then you really understand your customer and what they need and what they want, what their pain points are, what their challenges are, what they value, what they're looking for. And then you can develop a product and then hopefully more products, which fit that criteria. Interesting. What, what about, and, and this is where the always the internal struggle, and I'm going to go kind of dive in a little bit of like head versus heart. Mm -hmm. You have entrepreneurs who get the, they get the spark, right? They have like a passion project. 
And that's kind of like the dangerous point of like how you take that passion project and either force it to make it work. Or in your case, it was, you are the customer and you found the space and it was applying to more than just what you were doing. It wasn't just like a, I'm going to create something that's different out there. You were innovating. How do you always, how do you help people now then of when they say, I have this really cool product. I know it'll work. I just need people to get more like eyeballs on it or something like that. But then you look at it and you're like, this is a, whole, this is a bunch of like shit, basically. Like this product will not work or sell online. Yeah. Well, there's like too big or it, it won't be profitable. Like it just doesn't work in its own capacity, right? Like what at what point do you have to tell people, hey, let's use your head here and not like, I know you're super passionate, but yeah, exactly. Like yeah. at what point do you have to tell them, listen, this is not the right venue for this? Yeah, you have to be careful. I mean, because... In, in a few ways, I'm a little bit hypocritical there, aren't I? Because I followed my heart initially. But the way I see it is that you, the heart helps you in the first instance, right? The heart should be the, the trigger for your, your brand. Because in, in my opinion, you or at least somebody in your organization needs to be very passionate about what you're selling, right? It needs to get you out of bed in the morning. Apart from anything else, it helps you to become an authority on that topic, which helps people to know and like and trust you, which means you can sell more products. But, right, if you get so swept away in your product, you're, it's like you're a horse wearing blinkers and you can't actually see that the numbers aren't stacking up or there's not enough demand for your product or actually it's not really profitable or it's not profitable enough, right? Um, your, your products are, if you think of your business as a boat, your products are really your, 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 business, your, your business's engine, the engine of the boat. And a good boat needs to have power in order to have enough thrust to drive the, the boat or the business forward. And it needs to have efficiency in order that it doesn't use up too much fuel and that that fuel is not therefore too heavy to weigh the boat down. And if we think about that in terms of products, your products need to be profitable or profitable enough that's the power and in demand that's the efficiency and so if you're following your heart too much and you you get you know you're seeing the world through rose-tinted spectacles you're not going to see that your engine is neither powerful nor efficient or in other words your profit your products are not profitable enough to justify existing and they're not in sufficient demand to justify you going to the trouble of manufacturing them and trying to market them. So obviously there's a, that, that to me is, says there's a fine balance. You must be aware always like not to push yourself in one way or another. You have to always toe that fine line of bring, bring the authority, bring the passion, but don't let that drive business decisions that almost always has like, will lead you maybe down the right path. Like for, for, for starting a pro or like we'll talk about products here. But as your entrepreneur journey, you're successful, you're looking at numbers, you're picking products that make sense in, in a space. There's a couple other ways as you were growing that I wanted to ask your opinion. When did you know that it was the right time to continue to expand, whether it's a different marketplace outside? Because you started what, in .com, I'm assuming? On Amazon? Yeah. I started oh, you started UK. Okay. Yeah. In gotcha. fact, uh, this this first brand, Beast Gear, the one that I that I sold, I never took to the U.S. I was going really, to, and then the opportunity came along to sell that brand. Um, 
and it turned out so what was that yeah what was that decision like like why why did you 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 decided the uk for what reason because you were local because because i I, i'm here and it it, you know in the first instance you got to remember when i started i didn't have a great deal of of experience um you just knew what amazon.uk was (laughs) i'm in the uk i will sell in the uk it it made sense and i'm glad i did it um i'm glad i did that it was the right decision for, for me and it it made it pretty relatively straightforward there were quite a few hoops to jump through but still relatively straightforward to expand across europe and then it meant that there was still a great deal of upside and growth potential when it when it came time to you know position that for sale to a potential buyer because they could see well we can just take this straight across to the us interesting so I mean that that's the non I, I call it non traditional because a lot of people jump into the biggest marketplace, which is .com. Um, but that's good. You you found the the ability to exit before you even got into the biggest marketplace. So what what was the time frame? How long were you selling before you were approached to sell your business? I had the idea for the business in it was late 2015 or early 2016, and I I sold my first product to a stranger, like my first non-friends or family sale, I think was was June 2016. So I think I got my stock into Amazon in June and then started selling in June 2016. I made the decision to sell in February 2019. And then the actual sale was done um, October, late October 2019. Okay. So we like three and a half years from selling my first product to selling the business interesting so you were only what were the forms of revenue just amazon in uk so no uh, it was amazon right across europe uh, france germany italy spain okay um of course now there's amazon sweden there's amazon netherlands as well um although remember I, w- I was also generating sales from other parts of europe from people you know people in poland could buy on amazon germany for instance of course sure. now there's amazon poland as well um, we had just gone into the Middle East, Amazon.ae, and we were just into Australia when I sold the business. I was selling on our own website, which was uh, built on, on the Shopify platform, but that was only to UK customers at that time. So it was, okay. it was two main two main channels, really, Amazon and our own website. And Amazon was was the, you know, the vast I was going to say, what was that split? Was that probably like a 90-10 or even 95-5 or what was the split? Uh, so yeah, it, w- it was probably actually slightly, it was higher than, probably slightly higher than 95, but you've got to remember, you, you were, you're you not really comparing apples and apples there because the, the, the site, the Shopify site only fulfilled to the UK, right, right where Amazon was doing right across Europe and the Middle East and Australia. Were you part of the pan-European program in that yeah. or were you in each marketplace individually? Okay. It was so for, oh, okay. So I was gonna say for people who don't know what that is, what was that before Brexit? <laughs> yeah, Brexit. God, <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that. But um, I was gonna say uh, we could, uh, but uh, it's up to you. I wrote mind. it down in my notes, but I might. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> it's it's, it's a we don't we don't have enough time on this episode right now to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, Panny U uh, still exists. It's just a little more complex now, especially if you're a UK seller. But that is where, whereby, essentially, after you've jumped through some, some hoops by registering for VAT with quite a, 
quite a large number of countries, not just those with with Amazon uh, marketplaces, but you know Poland and Czech Republic, who don't have Amazon marketplaces, or Poland just has, but they do have fulfillment centers. But anyway, once you've registered for VAT with all these countries, you can turn on Pan EU, and what Amazon will do is, when you send your inventory into your any fulfillment center, they now distribute it across Europe on your behalf, according to their algorithm for supply and demand. So whereas before you turned on PanEU, you could still sell across Europe. So Massimo in Milan could order your product, but it would be getting fulfilled to him, if you're a UK seller, from a fulfillment center in Coventry in England. And it would take a couple of days to get there. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to come to him from the fulfillment center in Milan, and it'll be with him the next day. So almost overnight, when I turned on PanEU, my sales doubled. Wow. Which is phenomenal. And and you don't have to, like, for people who are like, that sounds like too good to be true. Or you're not opening up, you have to open up a storefront technically in each of these marketplaces still, right? Is that still how the process works? Yeah, technically. Technically. But it's not, it's not, it's not. It's more for the fulfillment side, right? It's It's not. It's more from the fulfillment side. So you have to register for VAT in each country. Doing that, when I did it, so this was like 2017 when I did it, it it was more of a pain in the ass than it is now. There's a lot of paperwork to do, and each country has its own sets of rules. And this is before, you know, some of the some of the countries now have relationships with Amazon, which make the whole thing a lot more straightforward. This is before that. So they were just treating you like you were any ordinary business, right? Mm-hmm. Registering for VAT. And you had to jump through quite a lot of hoops. Forms not in English. And why would they be, right? Why should they be, right? Sure. Um, for some countries, I remember for Spain, you had to get documents stamped by some by somebody called a notary, a registered notary. Like mm-hmm. This is a, literally a wax seal, right? Um, you could only have, you had to have certain documents translated and they had to be translated, but could only be translated by a translator who was registered with them and had a particular set of credentials, right? So lots of hoops to jump through, which is amazing. Like the more hoops to jump through, the better. Because it's a higher barrier to entry. And sure. other people cannot be bothered to do it. So when you jump through all the hoops and you get to the other side, you win, right? It's like Sonic the Hedgehog. The more hoops <laughs> Collecting all those coins along the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Collecting all exactly. the coins. Get to the other side of the hoop. Less competition. Because other people have just been like, ah, oh, more stuff to do. I'll just. That continue. sounds hard. I have to learn things? No yeah, thanks. And I'm out. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I like stuff that's high barrier to entry. And, and that's something that I'm taking forward with me with my new brands. Partly, the obvious one, now that I've sold, I have some more capital. So mm-hmm. I can enter markets where more competitor for a few dollars, I'm sourcing it for like 30 or $40. So that's a higher barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. But also where I see stuff, you know, where you might want to, you know, retain a top designer to design a product for you. It might cost you. 20,000 bucks. Great. Because now the, no one else is doing that or few people are. So it's not saturated, right? I was going to say a lot of people go for, so kind of maybe this next step of like using your head versus your heart. A lot of people go into e-commerce for a couple of reasons. They want to be an entrepreneur. 
and they want it or like a side hustle. I say side hustle. It's not a side hustle anymore because to be successful, you need to dedicate almost the same amount of full-time job, you know, bandwidth to your business to be successful. Um, so they want to have a separate form of income, whatever that might be. There's other places to enter, like you said, so that to do well in business, not just locally, but internationally, you have to replicate that, but on different marketplaces across the world, which are different into like different, unique circumstances. Like for example, you UK and um, Canada and Europe, VAT, GST. Like once you start telling people those phrases and the monikers, they're like, Nope, I'm out. Like just yeah, I'm good in the United States. Like I'm, I'm too lazy to like learn what those means. However, it's, you know, it does take time. It takes effort, but the opportunity still is there for people who want to push forward, spend a little bit of time or hire people to do that and help them out. That being yep. said, as people, I, I think there's like this weird paradox now that like there is not brokers, but like more aggregators in the space. There is this, how quickly can I start a business, make it profitable and burn it, like turn and burn it basically almost like a create it so I can get it off my plate to an aggregator or you develop a brand that might take years, three, four or five years, make it equ equitable and like have all these different ways that you are valuable. And then you become this like different, unique and valued entity that you can't just like put a one-to-one -to, -one to it. Like you have this much inventory, therefore you're worth this much or this much you've been selling online, looking at your numbers, I can plot apply and like X multiple. When you're looking at both of those for you, because now you've you've exited your business, now you're helping people exit their business. Which one is the one that you geared more towards? Like it's not a bad thing either one. There's just two now unique, distinct paths that you can take as an entrepreneur online. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I was I, mean, I say too. Like, there's more, but like those are the main ones. To to me, I mean, let's wind the clock back a bit, right? Remember, sure. remember when this all kicked off this whole third party selling on amazon thing right 2015 16 2015, time frame, yeah right even maybe slightly earlier depending right but a little bit you know, yeah people got in on 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 the asm course and that type of thing mm -hmm. and then it was not about building an asset to sell it was just about selling stuff right to make some money those days are gone just stuff just that just was it you were like guys all you have to do is sell stuff source some good stuff and sell it and they were not wrong. That, right. that was true. That was true. But that, that is no longer true. And it's not sustainable just to source stuff. So regardless of whether you want to build a business to sell it, and whether you want to build a business to sell it in a year or two years or three years, or for a certain sum of money, the fact of the matter is you, you really, in my opinion, you really need to be building a brand or brands, plural. And it, it certainly helps if this is some, a brand that you're passionate about. But my view is that to make to make any money in, in e-commerce, you really need to be looking at the exit and playing the slightly longer term game. And we're not talking years and years and years. Right. You, you can build a brand. Uh, I have clients who are selling brands that are 10 months old. And on the other hand, you may build a brand with a view to sell it in three years or four years or five years. Neither of those is wrong. 
it all just depends, right? It's a sliding mm-hmm. scale. Like so, it's how you, yeah, how you want to operate it. Exactly. Exactly. But my view is definitely you. This is about an exit now. It's the days of making money by selling stuff is gone, because you know, once you've built your your selling account to a point that you can actually afford to draw down income, well, fine until it all goes terribly wrong and you don't have an account anymore, right? For whatever reason. Or the other way to look at it is how many years is it going to take you to to draw down the equivalent of what you could sell that for? And the answer right. is usually quite a lot. If it's if it's a good enough brand. You're talking about doing it yourself versus like having other people like put their own time, money, and effort in almost processes in place so that they can scale it quicker than what you a one man or small army of people yeah. Can do. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you can have your cake and eat it. So when it's time to sell and take some money off the table, a lot of people, the pushback is, yeah, but I want to see where this can go. Well, great. Let's see where it can go and, and experience some of that upside and share the upside with the new owners and structure a deal that allows you to enjoy the upside as well as it continues to grow. I mean, that's why they're buying it, right? They can see the trajectory and they have the resources to take it forward and you don't. When, so that, that being said, you, you came into the space, not knowing much, if anything about e-commerce, you took your expertise and grew it and you found other different ways to like scale it. Now, when you're working, building your own brands, but you're helping other people exit as well. What's that process been like for you to like both education wise and then building your own brokerage? Like what's the distinguishing factor between you as a brand on Amazon versus now I can help people take their own quote unquote brand or storefront or business. And now I can help them exit their business just like I did. What, what, yeah. what are the different things that you have to psychologically like turn one to another? Like you're, you're still selling, but you're helping other people sell too. Like how do you go back and forth with that? So I mentioned up top that I'm still selling and I'm still selling for two reasons is a, I love it. And I've learned that how to create a brand, generate into it into a valuable asset and then sell it. But B, I can't do the other things that I do if I'm not selling. I can't very well uh, consult with people or, or help manage their, them to an exit if I don't also understand what it's like to still be a seller in this space, mm-hmm. particularly in such a fast-moving industry. Like I need to be in the trenches in order to to understand what's going on. And that is, I think, one of the things that sets me and econ brokers apart is that I've been there and done it and I'm still doing it. And then my business partner, Allison, in the brokerage, she's got like 20 plus years of mergers and acquisitions experience and is an e-commerce accountant. So we're not just like kind of like middlemen selling uh, shovels to the gold rush. Like we are we are e-commerce experts. That's what we do. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Right. Yeah. You're, you're talking the talk, you're talking the talk, but you're also walking the walk. Uh, well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, try not to be too, uh, I don't know. No, I try not to be too, too arrogant about it in that perspective, but yeah, we, we, sure. we are, that's what we do. So like what, what for t- you're a team of two, right? So team of yeah. two going against like other, I say going against, like you're representing other different brands around the world. Your focus is in, specific area like what is it that you want to set up yourself apart like there's more to it right it's not just hey we did it 
we're doing it in like, what, what's that setting yourself apart factor of like, we are only focused in certain areas or businesses we want yeah. to help. So, so, I mean, apart from anything else, we're in the UK and there's no one else really doing this in the UK and Europe. Um, I mean, we operate globally, but our position here makes it, it, it's quite unique. Sure. Um, because of our, you know, my, my experience on the e-commerce side and Alice, Allison's experience on the financial side allows us to do quite a few things. So where are some brokers, and there's nothing wrong with this, right? It's just, it depends what's right for you. Some brokers will just say, yep, we'll sell your business. And they'll look at your Amazon account and they'll look at, say, your Shopify account, pull in some numbers. Uh, they'll apply valuation. They'll slap it on the website and they'll list it on kind of like the eBay for, for businesses. And that's absolutely fine if that's what you want. But what, what we'll do is we'll work with people. I mean, some people might just want to sell now and that's fine. We'll work with them. But what we'll do is me on the e-commerce side and Allison on the financial side, we'll actually get in and look at their business and get it really properly set up to sell, positioned correctly to sell, especially for whatever their industry is. So if you have a fitness brand or whether you have a pet brand, whether you have a knitting brand, right? And we'll get it really neat and tidy because you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the state of some e-commerce businesses. Like <clears throat> the business might look fantastic on the surface. And so many brands look amazing on Amazon and on their own website. But then you like you open the box and you look inside, and it's a mess because it's like What's... Google Sheets here and Google Sheets there, or it's just you know in the owner's head. And so we get everything really, really strategically. I like to say neat and tidy, but that's kind of doing it a disservice. It's a bit more. There's a bit more to it than that, right? And then it's really well positioned to sell. And this way, we can achieve a higher valuation, have a much smoother process for both the seller and the buyer. And some people might just want to do that and sell like now-ish, but other people might have a goal in mind. So it might be like a timeline goal. Hey, I want to sell in six months. Or it might be like a, value, a valuation goal. This is the number I have in my head. And we'll work over a period of time towards that. So that what, sense. yeah, I wasn't, that, that makes sense. And I, and I appreciate that explanation. When, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't know if now's the right time. Like, do I hold out? Do I wait for kind of like all this like wild west, you know, ness of the, Hey, there's all this money coming in. People are going to keep like acquiring and growing. I don't, I don't know if now's the right time. Maybe I hold on it. It becomes a multiple of four instead of three or something like that. Yeah. When, how are you, how are you educating people on when's the right time to pull the trigger? I know it's going to be different for each person. Yeah. Exactly right. That, you took the words right. Mouth. First of all, everyone is different. Everyone's business is different. Uh, most important thing to say is that what we definitely don't do is say, oh, yeah, sell right now, right? Just because we want to take a cut because that's not the right thing to do. And in, in any case, uh, for that business, it may well not be the right thing to do because there's plenty more upside that they can realize if only they would hang on a little bit longer. Ryan, I can't see you anymore on the stream. I'm here. I'm still here. Sorry. I just put you on screen. <laughs> so in any case, there, there may well be plenty more that we can do to that business to realize more upside, right? If we just mm -hmm. hang in there on our patient. That said, we're in a really interesting time right now in e-commerce. Multiples are flying up all over the place. These aggregators have raised a whole ton of money. What's really interesting is, of course, they're going to spend that money. Now, some of them are going to spend a bunch of money and build their portfolio and then present this back to their, their investors and say, hey, got all this, built this portfolio. Look at what we did with the money you gave us so far. Give us some more, please. 
wonderful. They're going to raise a bunch more money, but some of them aren't. So there's, it's, it's, there's a lot to think about. If you've got a business that's really attractive and is getting offers, you know, there's a phrase that we use in the UK here quite a lot. Um, so I'll try and translate it into American English. It's kind of like the, the manager of a soccer team, we'd call it football. Sure. has got, uh, too many good strikers, right? And they need to choose which ones to pick. It's a little bit like that. You could sell now for X, but what, what if you held on a little bit longer? Well, this is where smart deal structure comes in, right? And you can still realize that upside depending on how well the business does. And that could be because you've got a whole bunch more products in your locker that you're going to launch. Well, let's structure the deal such that you can realize the upside on those products that you're going to launch. So what are like deal, what are deal structures like that? Because a lot of people, they think there's so many different ways to do it. And like each brokerage or each, um, you know, aggregator might do it a different way, but there's a lots of different ways to get creative in terms of like what each individual seller wants to do. Right. There's the, of course, all cash up front. You're like, you get a nice big check. You can request to put it on a big, ridiculous looking one, put it on your, uh, above your, above your bed at night and stare at it. And you're like, this is amazing. Can't wait to take this to a bank. Um, or insert into your ping pong count, whatever one, uh, <laughs> but, uh, nice. uh, you can do that or you can, uh, apply it to like equity in the company, almost like stock, right. Uh, theoretically, sure. or you can have like terms and payout over time if you hit certain thresholds. So yeah. walking through that, are there other ones that people might be missing? Um, or there's like other ways that you structure or have structured for other sellers. So none of the, none of what you just said is wrong. What's really interesting is that with so many more aggregators coming into this space, uh, many of the newer ones are, are a lot more, um, shall we say progressive in their deal structure, right? And right. a little bit more open to some interesting things. Like when all this kicked off, like late 2018, early 2019, when buying an e-commerce business became, you know, a mainstream thing. And even it really, really came really mainstream in 2020. Then yeah, midway through, yeah. The main deal structure was, you know, we'll we'll, we'll give you X, X percent now, often often around about half, and the rest is dependent on the performance of the business over the next two years. Well, that's fine, but what's really disappointing about that is you no longer have control over how well that business performs. But what right. if you were Joe, Joe at Joe at let's call him say Thrasio, Joe at Thrasio, who makes fifty thousand dollars a year working for them. Let's just call it what it is. Is now in charge of your brand to grow it to a certain point threshold. Yeah. So this is this is where I was going, and maybe like I teed it up for you. Is like now that Joe at this this company, um, we don't have to use their SEO, is now putting all their time and effort into it. And I say all their time, how much it's almost like billable hours, right? Almost like a lawyer. <laughs> they have other brands to manage and kind of focus on, not just yours. When you, the seller, were focusing on it. I, and I've heard these stories before. The point I'm getting at is like they're managing like inventory, they're managing like how it's positioned, brand marketing yeah. with a team. And if they don't spend all their time, they might miss an opportunity to stock out or they stock out for a day or two when the other seller who sold it beforehand, it's like that never happens for them. So there's like a couple of days where I've seen deal structures that would have hit a threshold over a quarter or a month over a month, like uh, tiered structure where they were like, Hey, I'll hit this number over the course of a, uh, like three months, let's call it a quarter. And because they stocked out for like seven total days, because the person wasn't paying full attention to like inventory levels, yeah. they missed yeah. it by like $10,000, which would have been yeah. a day or two yeah. of selling. 
yeah, that type of thing happens. It's extremely disappointing. What's really great is when you can work with a buyer on, you know, a, a more progressive uh, and more flexible deal structure. I like I like the kind of thing where you say, you know, you you've actually because you on, only you know you, you understand your brand better than anyone, and you've probably got a whole bunch more products up your sleeve. So I love a deal that that looks at incorporating the um, the new products that would be launched after the sale but are coming from and being developed by the existing owner and having those contribute to the uh, to the earnout because you know when all this kicked off uh, the aggregators were not and many of them still aren't not looking at launching new products it was all about buy the business as is don't launch any new products just realize a whole bunch of savings and cut costs benefiting for, from economies of scale and then sell on for a higher multiple whereas now more of them are open to things like launching new products, launching into more marketplaces. Those kind of things really contribute to an exciting deal structure in terms of the earnout. It's fantastic that... you can get a great multiple and, a, and, and either no earnout or a very short earnout. That's wonderful. But, you know, I do like to see people because people love their brand. I know this because I, I experienced this myself. I still have a great attachment for the brand that I sold. And people love to see their brand succeed. So if you can join in with that in a financial way, then that's wonderful, right? Right. So you're talking about, so to be more specific, you're talking about deal structures where the seller still participates in the brand. Is that what you're talking about? Or just yeah. like earns over time? So they're no longer, you know, you're, you're not selling your business in order to be an employee, right? You're selling your business in order to take some money off the table and go and focus on the things that you want to do. But what, can, sure. what you know, what, what you could do is you could sell your business and you've still got a whole bunch of product ideas that you want to launch and you're going to work with the new owner with relatively little effort on your part. If you've already developed these product ideas to launch these products after the fact, after the sale, and they'll actually contribute therefore to your earnout. Right. That's quite an interesting one. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes more sense. So when you're, you're telling people to like, look in the, the different ways, depending on their goals, obviously, I think Everyone has to understand, depending on each person's goal, what they want to do, whether it's just like, I'm out of e-commerce forever. I just want to go retire. Good for you. Like I'm not, that's great. exit I'm the space. Deal. Yeah, exactly. I've seen deals where people have accepted a much lower um, multiple in order to have 100% upfront rather than any sort of earnout because, you know, everybody's circumstances are different, right? Right. And that's what they want. They didn't. And the reason why it's so much lower in the first place is because these places that have all this money in front, they're acquiring debt. Like basically it's, it's already a zero sum. Like they're not making revenue yet. So it's hard for them to upfront the cost when, you know, Precisely. instead of over time and to know, yep. make sure it's still going to work. Yep. Just recently I saw a deal. It was, um, I hasten to add it. I, I must, you know, full disclosure. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't through us, but you know, uh, I, I have knowledge of this deal. Um, and it was, uh, it was like 1.7x, 100% upfront. And this person accepted this over, say, 2 or, or, or 2.1 with an earnout, right? Because those were the, that was the circumstances for that particular person, and it suited them better. Hmm. What, what are some easy, I say easy, what are some tips to make sure that people are aligned with, like, very basics of, like, making sure that it's easy to exit? Is it... Everyone says, keep your books clean. Yeah. That means different things in various different ways. What are some like maybe hidden things that not a lot of people think about 
in order to, like you said, I see people who keep it in their head or keep it on a Google sheet and they're all over the place. Like to me, that sounds like super anxiety inducing. If I open that up, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is gonna be a long like partnership. Um, well, I mean, a really simple one is ask yourself, if you were buying a business, what would you want to know? If you were going to give someone hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in exchange for business, you would want to know that that everything related to that business is, as you say it is, is squeaky clean, right? What would you want to know? Start making a list of those things and start getting organized, right? Top of your list, it needs to be, your accounts need to be in order and they need to have been done by a professional. An accountant needs to be doing your accounts. There are so many sellers that are still doing their accounts on their own, which is probably all right when you start off. But if you're serious about your business, you won't be doing those. You shouldn't be doing those things anyway. You should have outsourced that months, even years ago, because you should be the visionary working on this, the, 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 the journey of your brand, right? Mm -hmm. Your intellectual property needs to be in order. So you need to have trademarks you need to have patents if it applies to your products for instance and you need to have in every marketplace let's also make a caveat in every marketplace you're yeah, in every marketplace and preferably in every country you're manufacturing as well that's really important and remember right. you know people say oh yeah but it's going to cost more money well it will cost you more money but you're actually that's it's got a value to it right you're right. building more value into your business and in any case it's only going to cost you once and it's an ad back if people aren't familiar with ad backs, get familiar with ad backs because that's really important. And that's What's that term problems. mean? What's that term mean quickly for people? In layman's terms, it's essentially anything that the new owner, anything, any cost that you've had that the new owner isn't going to have to pay for. It's like a sure. one-off thing um, gotcha. that you can add back on your profit and loss sheet. It includes things like owner's payroll and the taxes associated with that, but also other things like if you're putting your phone, your internet through the business, that's an ad back. What about the photography cost for a product? Well, it's been done. It's not going to have to be done again. It's an ad back, right? Sure. That type of thing. But there's, sure. you know, that's one of the problems with when you deal, especially when you deal directly with buyers, is the ad backs are never done right. Many of the buyers will unjustifiably push back on ad backs. When you work with a good broker, your ad backs will be done properly and thoroughly. So many, many ad backs that you may, may not have thought about a really good professional e-commerce specialist accountant will add them back. But if you're working with a brokerage who isn't a specialist e-commerce accountant, you're not going to get that done. Does that make sense? Right. Yep. I get you. What about, um, so in, in those kinds of things, uh, you know, like IP, um, you know, protecting your, you know, thoughts, your creations, your, you know, whether it's, trademarks or your your copywriting and things like that we've had people on the show talk about that what when people like apply that it's it's an upfront cost and it applies later down the road mm. what what are some of like can you put numbers to to this for people in terms of like whether as an e-commerce seller how it's benefited you from either somebody attacking or like sitting oh, yeah. on your listing or things like that can you like kind yeah. of equate that to you as a seller but also you know exiting your business yeah, I mean, I've, I've been there and, and done that in terms of somebody trying to attack me. Um, and if you, if you if you want the full story, I, I told it on the Rich Goldstein podcast a few weeks ago. But we don't have say our boy on. Rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rich, Rich has so many stories like this. But yeah, yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, essentially, um, I designed a product, um, and it was superior to the other pro main product on the market in this space, and I had it protected. Um, 
the people who owned the other product got upset that my product was better than theirs and started to outsell it. So they came after me. They were like this, an, an enormous corporation. And I was a, a guy on a laptop in a cupboard. Um, and you could tell they had a previous of doing this. So they tried to bully me out of business. Fortunately, I was protected and I had taken the decision to uh, spend good money on really good IP attorneys. And they did their homework and realized that A, my product was protected, B, it was not infringing on theirs, and C, actually, when we looked closely, their own patent didn't actually protect their own product. So we very politely uh, told them to go screw themselves. And right. people lost their jobs. <laughs> Possibly. Probably. Probably. We'll say probably. My product went on to become the market leader and at the end of the day, probably contributed potentially hundreds of thousands to the value of that deal when I exited that business. Right? Right. And also resulted in me not being completely screwed when they tried to sue me. So, I, you know, there's there's multiple... Everyone's fights. winning. Everyone, Everyone's I see winning, wins right? all around. <laughs> the, the temptation to be short-sighted is huge. And I see it all the time in the groups, especially here in the UK, because I don't know how easy it is in the States to register your own trademark. But here in the UK, it's very easy. Right. You go on the intellectual property office website and you submit your application and they'll come back to you and the, they'll either accept it or reject it or give you advice on how you could get it accepted. But it's very easy to get a trademark accepted but it doesn't actually particularly cover you very well because you're not an IP attorney. And so your application is not very in-depth or thorough. So a lot of people get a piece of paper comes back and says, congratulations, you have a trademark for your, you know, your brand name. I'm like, ooh, I'm protected. But when it comes to it, you're really not. So rather than, you know, that costs you like 200 pounds to do okay, in the UK here. But if you just spend an extra three, 400 pounds on getting a professional to do it, you'd have a much more thorough and in-depth protection across many more classes. And Are there any that. specific categories that you, you tell people like, it, it's like a varying degree, right? It can be like any product. I always hear people say you should do it for everything that's different, unique about your business. Is there ones that you've seen people get unfortunately subverted because they weren't protected, um, whether they were first to market and then they, some other person, you know, patented it or, uh, you I've know, seen it. had it. Yeah. People the other way. Brand and they develop a brand and they develop some reputation and goodwill for that brand. And it's going well. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes out of the woodwork who legitimately has been trading with that name for much longer or something very similar to that name and has a trademark. And when argued by their trademark attorney it can be demonstrated that this newer brand is infringing on their intellectual property and the two can be confused and therefore unfortunately mr new business you're going to have to change your name which comes at you know a cost not just in terms of the actual cost of doing it but the the lost business from now all this confusion that's been caused right people mm -hmm. you're all having to start again from scratch and it's a, it's a massive pain. So yeah, you see it. You see it all the time. So I guess moving forward, uh, kind of wrapping up the episode a little bit more tidy. I mean, all those things you can say, like, what, what's the smart decision versus like what you feel is the right way? What's kind of like state of e-commerce or like business going forward? How are you telling people to like be smart about it? Uh, you know, use both your 
your brain and your heart in this context because either exiting your business or starting a business, you need to make sure both are going to be worth your time, money, and effort. Yeah. What using using that as like your compass? How are you telling people to start like either growing online or how are they going to exit online? Like, what what are your major yeah. points you want to hammer home to people now? Sure. So I like to think of it in kind of like a macro and a micro way. It's like on like a macro level, I would say like, you know, uh, think big and follow your heart, right? And your heart needs to, you know, you, 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 needs to point you in the direction of something you're extremely passionate about. So, you know, build a brand with a view to an exit, whether that's in a year or two or three years, whatever. And that brand needs to be following your heart. But then on a micro level, in terms of the actual specific business decisions, you know, we looked at one earlier when we were talking about um, the engine of if your business is a boat and the engine is your products, right? When that kind of detail, you need to be using your head and not getting um, swept away by by your heart, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I would tell people to do. Um, don't be short-sighted, right? Spend the money on intellectual property just to come back to that example. And uh, uh, be patient, play the long game. None of this uh, selling stuff, right? Doesn't exist anymore. Um, build a valuable asset by creating a brand which solves problems for a specific group of people, whether that's people who want to buy knitting accessories or people who want to buy parts for motorcycles, whatever. A, 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 a brand which solves problems for a group of people and build a, uh, a tribe of, of evangelical fans of that brand. That brand will become a valuable asset which you can sell for significant money when the time is right. Just have patience. And uh, always, always get good advice, right? When it uh, when it comes to our business, we're very quick often to pay for services or get advice for things while we're running our business, whether that's PPC or product photography or Facebook ads or whatever. But oftentimes, when it comes to selling their business, the most important asset that they have, people are very quick to just kind of try and Google around and do it themselves. You know, uh, get solid advice when the time comes to start thinking about that and, and start thinking early because selling your business isn't a very exciting time, but it's also a very intense time. Like you think running your business is hard, uh, trying to sell it is, uh, is intense, um, exciting, but intense. And so getting prepared early is really important. And actually there's a book that I would recommend people read just on that, whether or not you, even if you believe, Oh, I'll never sell my business. Fine. Please read this book because it will help you to run your business better. It's called Built to Sell, and it's by a guy called John Warrillow. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, like one of the things that we try to do is get people built to sell. Um, and that's that's where that phrase came from. It's that book, Built to Sell, by John Warrillow. That's awesome. Thanks for that recommendation. We can always link out to that too in our description. I, recommending that. I just think it's <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, no, that's awesome. Uh, is there... I was going to say, and, and for people who obviously want to learn more about you, Ben, or more about what Econ Brokers is doing, or just you um, just connecting with you to like pick your brain, what are the best ways to do that? Sure. So whether you want to sell your business or whether you just want to kind of understand, like, what's your business worth now? So you can think about what your strategy is. Like, I, I believe everyone should have an understanding of what your business may be worth now, because at least then you know where you are. Otherwise, you're like trekking through the jungle with no map. Um Head over to ecombrokers.co.uk and we can we can kick things off there. Um, and if you want some advice from me uh, or to hear more about me, head over to benleonard.pro. Awesome. And we made sure we linked out to ecombrokers as well. Again, for everyone, if you're on LinkedIn, I don't think this shows up in the comments, but 
ecombrokers.co.uk. Check it out if you're looking to sell your business, not just in the UK, but um, but also in the United States as well. We've had many people on here to talk about different ways. It depends on what's the right fit for you, the seller, and you, the business owner. So make sure that you feel comfortable whoever, whomever you're working for. But again, the the true the true thing is don't just work with uh, one aggregator or one. You know, we didn't even talk about you know just new money coming in the space. You know, private equity, all this other fun stuff that is down the pipeline that a lot of people for, forecast coming. Um, that's going to be kind of crazy here at the you know third or second, third, fourth quarters of e-commerce. Do you have any like thing that you're like really excited about or you think that could potentially like be a game changer in the space? This year? Yeah, I was gonna say this year. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, like you say, it's, it's extremely exciting what's going on with uh, with all the money coming into this space. You know, I'm slightly uh, left field. I'm really excited to see what's gonna happen, how it's gonna play out with, um, with almost like the Amazon versus Shopify thing that's coming on, right? So mm-hmm. Shopify are kind of starting to build out like a marketplace uh, and fulfilled by Shopify. Amazon are looking at getting more into allowing brands to be brands more in like a Shopify kind of way. Um, and the, the two are, are stepping on each, each other's toes somewhat publicly sometimes with a few of the tweets that have been flying around. And uh, I'm really excited to see how that's going to pan out. And uh particularly where Shopify is involved, I think really the only winner in that fight is going to be all the business owners and the brand owners, I hope. So let's see what happens. Absolutely. Well, Ben, thank you so much for uh, hopping on today again. Be safe over there in uh, Scotland and we'll be connecting with you soon. Sure, I'm uh, I'm assuming. So uh, thanks so much for hopping on and best of luck and uh, good luck with uh, selling uh, as well. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks, man. And that was uh, Ben Leonard, again, of Ecom Brokers, again, also a seller online. But thanks so much for him, uh, for tuning in, for everyone who else tuning in. Uh, we love having you guys on and watching live, again, whether it's on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, or just listening to this on download, again, on all the podcast channels. You can go ahead and check those out. When they get released, just make sure you have the notification bell because we go live four to five times per week. My name is Ryan Kramer. I'm the host of this show of Crossover Commerce again with Ping Pong Payments. We help marketplace sellers save money when they send and receive money all around the world in multiple uh, e-commerce marketplaces. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check the link in the description below. Just click on that and sign up for a free account today uh, or just go ahead and reach out to me as well. Be more happy to point you in the right direction to grow your business. Uh, Again, Crossover Commerce, we go live about four to five times per week. We will go live again tomorrow, I believe 3 p.m. Eastern time. So go ahead and mark your calendars for then. We'll be going live with Andy Arnott, Seller SEO. This week, we also actually have a professor coming on this week talking about localization and cultural customization uh, from the St. Louis University uh, School of Business. And then uh, rounding out this week, we'll have uh, Brent of AMZ Pathfinder. We'll be talking about standing out using Amazon display and video ads to help build your brand online. So you don't want to miss any of those. Make sure you mark your calendars and follow us on social media. I'm Ron Kramer. Uh, We'll see you guys next time on Crossover Commerce.